Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm super excited about today's podcast topic, but you guys, I'm sitting here with five pages of notes in front of me, and I am going to do my darndest to not go for two or three hours. You guys know how much I love to talk, and I'm going to try to keep this as concise as possible because this is such an important topic especially for really digging into why we think the way we do, why we behave the way we do, what's going on in our psyche, and really starting to resolve that. But there's so much information, and it is so important to healing from religious trauma. I mean, this is important in so many ways, but healing from religious trauma, it has so much application. So I have so many notes and I'm trying to pull out the things that are just the most important because I want you guys to just really siphon off everything I've studied for the last two weeks because this is huge, you guys. And this is really central to the work that I spend the primary chunk of my time doing. I spend most of my time with clients helping them recover self-worth, helping them hear their voice independent from authoritarian voices that they grew up with and learning to trust themselves. And it's what I do the most of, and I love doing it. And this is a huge piece of it. So I'm really, really excited to bring you on this journey. So let's just buckle up and we're just going to hop right in, okay? So what is cognitive dissonance? That was a term I hadn't heard until I started deconstructing, you guys. I had never heard this term before, and then when I went on my religious transition journey, suddenly I was hearing the term cognitive dissonance all over the place. And as I studied it, it really appealed to me because it's social psychology. Back in the 1950s, a psychologist named Leon Festinger, he did a whole bunch of experiments on cognitive dissonance theory, and he wrote a book about it. And the basic premise of it is inconsistency. So when we're holding two thoughts that are inconsistent with one another, we're going to feel discomfort. There's going to be friction there. And also when our beliefs are out of alignment with our behaviors or our beliefs are out of alignment with new information presented to us, again, we're going to feel that friction. And this is important because being in alignment is what helps us feel like we can trust ourselves and our reality. A lot of us going through religious transition feel like we can't trust ourselves. It kind of feels like reality has been pulled out from underneath us. Sometimes we can feel like we've been duped. Sometimes we can feel like we've been betrayed. Sometimes we feel like we bought into a narrative that was abusive to us. And it can make us feel like we're out of alignment and and that we can't really trust our reality. 
And so this episode, if that's something that you're struggling with, this episode will help a lot. It'll help you understand what's going on and begin to start building self-trust. So stay with me through these five pages and we will just like keep moving forward, pause as much as you need to, come back, do whatever you need to do to get through this. If self-trust is something that you're really struggling with, this is going to be a key part to healing, okay? Now, they have done so much research since the 1950s on cognitive dissonance and how we experience it as people. And cognitive dissonance a lot of times gives us physical discomfort, pit in the stomach, a tight sensation in our chest. We actually sweat sometimes. We get nervous. Our heartbeat speeds up. We are uncomfortable, you guys. Negative physical tension happens when we're in inconsistency. And we don't like feeling bad as humans. We don't like feeling uncomfortable. And so we have to do something to resolve the discomfort. To stay in consistency because that's what the human brain wants. The human brain doesn't necessarily look for truth. The human brain looks for consistency. We're going to talk about confirmation bias here in just a minute too. But we're looking for things that line up with what we already believe. I love this quote from Very Well Mind. It says, people tend to seek consistency in their attitudes and perceptions. So when what you hold true is challenged or what you do doesn't jibe with what you think, something must change in order to eliminate or reduce the lack of agreement. So when we are presented with information that goes against what we already believe, either we have to change our existing belief or we have to somehow rationalize away the new information. And that is the crux of cognitive dissonance. And you guys know what I'm talking about because you were presented with new beliefs. You have already gone through cognitive dissonance. You know that extreme discomfort of I hold this belief system and something is rubbing up against that belief system and it's causing friction. And you've had to make the difficult choice of, am I going to rationalize away the new information? Am I going to justify it? Am I going to ignore it? Am I going to discredit it? Or am I going to examine my existing beliefs and change them? And if you're listening to this podcast, you have made a very difficult decision one that not a lot of people do, you've made a very difficult decision to examine your existing beliefs against new information and change a belief. That takes courage and vulnerability, and it's difficult, as you know. So some of you might still be listening and going, okay, so I I kind of understand, but like real life examples, what would that look like? I'm going to give you some examples from my religious life since this is a religious podcast, right? This is a podcast about deconstructing religion. Here are some examples from my own personal life in religion. Now, as a young woman in the Mormon church, we had a motto that we would say, we memorized it, and we would say it every Sunday morning. And it started off with, 
We are daughters of our Heavenly Father who loves us and we love Him. I had a core belief that I was beloved by God, that He was my Father, and that He loved me, and that I was important to Him. I was taught that as a woman, I was important, that I had value. And yet, we were also taught about polygamy in the early church and honestly existing polygamy in heaven that heaven would have polygamy as well that it was an eternal law that would be restored for some people which don't even get me started on how much that terrified me but I had cognitive dissonance about this on the one hand I believed that I was important and valuable as a woman to God And that he loved me and cared for me, that he cared about my well-being, that he wanted me to be happy. And on the other hand, I had a story that he had commanded men in the church to take on multiple wives. And what I knew, not as a teenager, but what I knew as a young adult from my training in psychology about human relationships is that when a man is in polygamy. And we're not talking about consensual polygamy, you guys. Like there are many people that practice consensual polygamy where there is no power differential and there is no coercion involved. There's no indoctrination involved and people choose to practice polygamy in a way that is consensual for everyone involved and everyone is of the age to consent and they are free to leave at any time without consequence. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of polygamy that happens in the FLDS church. I'm talking about the kind of polygamy that happened in early Mormonism. I'm talking about the kind of polygamy where a leader of the church comes to a young girl and says, your eternal salvation is on the line and you need to become my wife in order to save yourself and your entire family. I'm talking about the kind of coercion that happens when a leader comes to a person and says, you have to marry me, even though you're already married, you have to become my spiritual wife, or this angel with a flaming sword is going to kill me. I'm talking about the kind of coercion that happens when young girls are living with a church leader as foster daughters because their mother died and their father went on a mission and secretly the church leader marries the two young girls without his wife's knowledge. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some really sick crap. I had been taught that polygamy was something that God commanded. I had been taught that polygamy was something God wanted, that it was an eternal principle And knowing what I knew about human relationships and about human connection, I knew that polygamy in this way greatly diminished the ability for a woman to connect with her husband and for a husband to connect with his wife. If you're sharing your husband with, in Mormonism's case, up to 50 different wives, there's not very much time for you to connect with your husband there's really not that much time for you to have a deep, intimate relationship. This is tragic for women. 
Because while the man is able to multiply his connections, the woman is often left alone with the children to raise them and to take care of them on her own because he is dividing himself amongst so many women. This is not what a loving God that deeply loves and cares about his daughters would do. And as I tried to understand it, I turned to the Bible. I read about, you know, Abraham and his wives. That was not a pretty scenario. I read about Isaac and his wives. Again, not a pretty scenario. Jacob and his wives, not a pretty scenario. Everywhere I looked and read about polygamy, women were suffering. And so that created cognitive dissonance for me. How could God love me? How could I be beloved? How could he care about my happiness as a young woman and command young women to marry men that were decades older than them? How could he command that men take multiple wives? Now, what I did is I rationalized there were some mental gymnastics thrown out there. And that's what mental gymnastics are. It's our way to try to get around cognitive dissonance. We've got these two conflicting beliefs. And so we try to find other information that kind of makes those two beliefs make sense and go together. I was told that polygamy only was older women, women who had been widowed. And so they were only marrying multiple widowed women because they needed to be taken care of. And so when I heard that, it kind of calmed my cognitive dissonance for a while until I realized, well, wait, could we not take care of people without marrying them off and having multiple wives married to one husband? Could we not just like, I don't know, like donate to the widows in the town without marrying them and having sex with them? Is that is that possible? Like it seemed pretty feasible to me. And so then I had more cognitive dissonance and I had to come up with more and more convoluted ways and more and more information to justify and rationalize what had happened and to bring those two pieces into alignment. Now, at one point, I was actually reading a story that talked about polygamy. It was a um, fictional story, but it talked about historical events in the setting of fiction And I actually had to put the book down and quit reading about it. I had to turn off my brain and quit thinking about polygamy because the cognitive dissonance was too painful. So when I couldn't bring the beliefs into alignment, I then turned to outside information to justify and rationalize. I did mental gymnastics, got a little bit better. But then when I was presented with historical information of what these women's lives were like and how painful it was, it was so painful for me. It was excruciating inside of me. I had to put it away and literally thought stop the process. I had to box up those thoughts and stuff them down and not think about them anymore so that the pain would stop. And that's really the process of what we have to go through in order to bring cognitive dissonance into harmony if we're not willing to honestly examine our beliefs. Another example is the earth is 6,000 years old. This is what I was taught. And yet, I love science. (laughs) And so 
I'm learning about evolution and I'm learning about fossils that are millions of years old and I'm learning about layers of rock and geology. Biology and geology are two of my favorite sciences. And so I'm at school and I'm digging into everything and you guys all know I'm a little research nerd. So I'm like digging down into all of this and now I've got two conflicting ideas. And again, I did mental gymnastics. You guys, I homeschooled my kids for six years. I taught them evolution and I tried to like teach them my mental gymnastics as well to sort of inoculate them against the problems that I saw. On the one hand, I taught them, I was like, yeah, we're taught that the earth is 6,000 years old. I was like, but I don't think that's literal. I think 6,000 years is just like a term that's used. I don't, I think that there's a creation period. And when he says seven days, I think seven days is just, day is the label that he gave to the time period it took to create that. Let's say as we're evolving, it took, you know, 20 million years, 100 million years, whatever it is. And he just called that a day. Like, okay, we now have animals on the earth. That's a day. Even though it took 200 million years or whatever, that's a day. That was my way of rationalizing that. Like, okay, this is, this is what this probably means. It never consciously occurred to me that my religious beliefs that the earth was 6,000 years old were just wrong because I wasn't willing to look at that belief. It was too scary. Because if the church was wrong about that, what else were they wrong about? So because it was too scary to look at that, I turned to other ways to solve the cognitive dissonance. Mm, Another one that comes up, you guys, is love the sinner, hate the sin. This is a cognitive dissonant message. Because often we are saying this about people that we love deeply. And... We've been told that their behavior is unacceptable, that we can't accept their behavior because it's sin. And so we're trying to do mental gymnastics of how can I love you, but also not embrace your sin? How do I stay in good graces with God, but not lose you in my life? It is an impossible scenario. And so we do all this convoluted, love the sinner, hate the sin type of crap. I know you guys have experienced this since walking away from your true believing beliefs, whether you're still in the church or you've switched churches or you are an unbeliever now, something has significantly shifted. You're not who you were back when you were completely indoctrinated or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I would have pissed you off by now and you would be gone. So you're here because you're open-minded. You're here because you're learning. You're here because you're open to new ideas. And my guess is that hasn't always been well-received. And we've been taught that people who leave, true belief at least, are dangerous. That they're being tempted by Satan. That they're Satan's servants. Or maybe that they're evil. And yet... I know particularly for some of my family members, as I've left the church, people were told that I would become hard-hearted, stiff-necked, I would become prideful, I would become wicked, 
my life would go to pot, and yet they're seeing me become a kinder, more compassionate, and happier person. Quite a bit of cognitive dissonance going on for people in my life right now, and I know you guys see this as well. And so people who are watching us deconstruct are in some high discomfort, you guys, because they love us and they know we're good people. And they've been told that people who leave the church are bad because that's a fear mechanism to keep them in, right? That if you leave, your life is going to explode and that you're going to become a bad person, that you can't be a good person without religion. You can't be a good person without the authority telling you what to do. And so they're watching us be good people, continue to be good people. They're watching us live these happy, fulfilled lives. Yeah, granted, they're also watching us go through deconstruction, which is painful and it makes us angry and sad and like all the things, right? And they're seeing significant benefits in our life. This causes a lot of discomfort for them because now they have two conflicting beliefs. One is My life will get worse and I'll become a bad person if I leave the organization. And the other one is, I love this person and I'm watching their life get better and they seem like they're healing. This is why you have people that try to keep us in the bad person place. No, 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 you're a bad person. No, 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 you're a sinner. No, you're you're deceived. You're being led by Satan because... That helps discount us so that they can keep their belief that what they're doing is right. Or they may ignore us completely. They may just cut us out and ignore the new information. And this hurts like a mother, you guys. But it makes sense. I found that when I understood that my existing, my leaving the church rooting into my self-worth, healing emotionally and mentally, and living a happy and fulfilled life was a threat to people's comfort and their sense of consistency. And that when they ignored me or cut me out or diminished me or tried to shame me or fear me, and they tried to use those things to keep me down, It wasn't because they were awful people and it wasn't because I was an awful person. It was because they were highly, highly uncomfortable and their brain was trying to protect them because you and I both know leaving your religion is scary AF. It feels life-threatening. It is so hard. And it allowed me to have compassion for people, even though their words hurt, even though they're pushing me away hurt, it at least allowed me to have some compassion. And it allowed me to send them love while they figured their junk out. And I went on living. Now, when I say having compassion for people, that doesn't mean you have to let people into your life that are pooping all over you or trying to make you feel bad, or trying to shame you, or coerce you into doing anything that is against your value system. You get to set firm boundaries. If you don't know how to set firm boundaries, please go back to the episode where we talk about boundaries. It will be really helpful. You get to set boundaries and say, look, 
Love and light are allowed here. People who love me and want what's best for me and are willing to embrace me get to be in my inner circle. I know that my existence right now makes you uncomfortable. And that is yours to figure out. You need to examine your beliefs. You need to examine the discomfort that's going on inside of you and figure out how to resolve that in a way that can allow you to be loving and present in my life. Or you can decide that you can't do that, but we can't spend a ton of time together. It's your choice. Either choice is okay, but you don't get to discredit me or demonize me or coerce me as a way to make yourself feel better about your cognitive dissonance. So important to understand that. I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. That's what's going on when people are just jerks when we leave. Our existence, our audacity to choose something different than the beliefs that we were indoctrinated with, and our audacity to be happy and fulfilled while doing it causes crazy amounts of physical discomfort and cognitive discomfort for our old friends and family that are still in the organization. Okay, let's talk about what cognitive dissonance leads to. And I think you're going to recognize a lot of this. The first thing that cognitive dissonance, the first gift, I guess you could say, that cognitive dissonance gives us is bias or confirmation bias. We give more weight to information we already believe to be true over new information, even when that information is backed by research or we have tons of evidence or we even see the evidence in action with our own senses. So, for instance, if we believe that our spouse loves us and we believe that we're in a happy marriage, If we're presented with information that our spouse is cheating on us, most of the time, we're going to disbelieve it at first. Even if we are given evidence, we're going to try to come up with some explanation, like maybe I don't understand the whole backstory here. Maybe this is going on. Sometimes even if we see our spouse flirting with someone in real life, We'll try to come up with some way to explain what is going on rather than confronting that maybe our spouse is cheating on us. So that's an example that happens in my husband's practice, but it happens with us too. I see this all the time in the church where we give more weight. I know I definitely did when I was still in. I gave more weight to what I had been indoctrinated to believe. And even when people were presenting me with evidence, it was really difficult for me to believe it. Even when I was connecting dots, I was trying to do mental gymnastics around it. One of the big stories that comes up for me with this is when I was studying the first vision. In Mormonism, Joseph Smith sees God the Father and Jesus Christ. And this is like one of the building blocks of the faith. This is like primary. But as I'm reading gospel topic essays on the church's own website, and I'm checking the footnotes, 
I'm realizing that, first of all, Joseph Smith didn't write down the first vision until 12 years after it happened. And I started thinking about like, okay, what's something that happened 12 years ago? First of all, it was really difficult to come up with something that happened 12 years ago. And then I was like, in how much detail could I write about that? And realized that I couldn't. And I noticed that his story was getting more and more elaborate as he went on. And I was like, okay, I was trying to find every possible way to make sense of that. Like, okay, so maybe it was too sacred and he just couldn't write it down until 12 years later. And then maybe God reminded him of everything. And then I was like, and maybe like it was still too dangerous to write everything down. So his first account was like really minimal. And then his last account, God was like, okay, you can write everything down. But when I was really honest with myself and tapped into the discomfort I was feeling, I realized I wasn't being honest with myself. And that's when things really started to unravel, right? We often give more weight to things we already believe. We will try to find reasons. We will try to find rationalizations of why it doesn't make sense to make it okay in our heads. Because going against our beliefs, changing those beliefs is highly uncomfortable. There's often a big price. And so that's why we do that. The second thing that can happen with cognitive dissonance is disembodiment. So cognitive dissonance creates a sense of dis-ease in our bodies. Because this is uncomfortable, we can become disembodied and cut ourselves off from the emotions and sensations in our bodies and hinder our ability to reflect on our beliefs and behaviors. I told you how I thought stopped about polygamy. It was too uncomfortable to consider the pain these women had gone through that they had written about. And so... I got really good, not just with that situation, but with any situation. If I started thinking about the reality of God, if I started thinking about some of the harm I saw in the church, I got really good at turning off my emotions. In fact, if you guys have seen the Book of Mormon musical, one of my very favorite. Guys, I have never cried in a musical like I cried in the Book of Mormon musical, which is so silly because... There's not anything like tearjerker about it, but it was so affirming to me. I just felt so seen. (laughs) I'm going to cry again right now as I'm talking about it. But I was sitting in the theater with my husband in New York City. We're watching the Book of Mormon musical and I was laughing my head off as tears were streaming down my face during the song where these missionaries you know, one of the missionaries, Elder Price, um, is telling the other missionaries that he just is having some cognitive dissonance. He believes that God sent him to this African country and he wants to be someplace where it's easier. This is hard. This isn't what he was expecting. He doesn't really feel like this is where he's meant to be. And you know, he's freaked out and he just wants to go to Orlando, Florida, which is his favorite place. And he prayed for it and he's a good person. And why didn't God send him to Orlando, Florida? And one of the elders, you know, they start singing the song, turn it off like a light switch, it goes flick. It's our neat little Mormon trick. 
We do it all the time when we're feeling certain feelings that just don't feel right. Treat those pesky feelings like a reading light and turn them off. And that's what I did. You guys, it's so true. I would feel discomfort and I would turn it off. I would just choose to ignore it. I would choose to stuff it. I would choose to pretend like it wasn't there. And I would redirect my feelings with prayer, with a song, or with a gratitude practice often. I would choose to look at something positive and just pretend like the negative wasn't there. It's crazy. I would treat those pesky feelings like a reading life and turn them off. That is disembodiment. Whenever we have gotten really skilled at stuffing our emotions, we actually cut off our inner knowing. When we aren't feeling certain feelings, we actually cut off our access to feeling any feelings fully. And when we don't have access to feelings, remember, feelings are our body's communication system with us. That's the communication from our subconscious to our conscious brain. That's our body going, huh, this is how we feel. This is what we want. This is what's okay with us. This is what we value. And when we're not allowed to feel certain feelings, we're actually muting all the feelings. And we become disembodied and we are detached from our inner knowing. And that actually affects our ability to reflect on our beliefs and behaviors and actually overcome cognitive dissonance. It makes it harder for us to resolve cognitive dissonance. Okay, cognitive dissonance can gift us rage, anxiety, depression, and chronic stress. When we live with cognitive dissonance on a regular basis, we have to swallow a lot of emotions in order to survive our reality. And we may feel like these pent-up emotions in our bodies feel like a a pit in our stomach, or it might feel like uncontrollable rage that just pops out of nowhere, or it could show up as clinical depression like it did for me, although it showed up as rage as well. Mine was like clinical depression that manifested as rage, and then once I took care of that, then I recognized the chronic stress and anxiety. Like, I had all these, you guys. I was a mentally and emotionally very sick person 11 years ago. We may also notice that we have chronic stress or anxiety. So what happens is we stuff all of these emotions and our emotions don't go away when we stuff them. They just sit in our body and wait for us to feel them. I know that you know that this happens because I want you to think about when you're driving. Where do your thoughts go? What do you think about? Do you think about how you're pissed with your sibling or your parent Do you think about that problem that you can't solve? Do you think about that thing that just won't go away? You guys, it's in these moments where our physical body is engaged, but our mind gets to roam when we're doing dishes, when we're gardening. It's during these times that our brains go to the problems. They go back to those emotions that we've stuffed that we haven't resolved. So knowing that, Next time you're doing dishes or driving or whatever and you find yourself ruminating over a problem, it means it's not resolved yet. Get curious with it. It'll help you figure out where you've stuffed emotions and start unpacking those so that there's less stuffed in your body and you become more and more embodied, more able to feel through what's going on for you. And 
be able to start unpacking some of your cognitive dissonance. Okay, it also gives us self-trust issues, you guys. So when we're proven wrong and there's information that contradicts our beliefs, we second-guess ourselves and it leaves us feeling like maybe we're not as wise or as right as we thought we were. This is especially true if we don't know how to feel into cognitive dissonance and we're disembodied. So when we're presented with information that we were wrong, sometimes it can lead us to not trust ourselves as much, especially when we don't know how to work through that and work through those feelings and resolve them. And then last, self-worth issues. When we have beliefs that a system or organization we're involved with is good, but it creates feelings of dis-ease inside of us, sometimes we take on the belief that we must be the problem in order to keep our relationship safe with that organization or system or family member or whatever. This happens in abusive relationships often. We will often take on the belief that we're the problem because it feels too scary to leave. This is what leads to you know, Stockholm syndrome, this is what leads to battered wife syndrome, is we start taking on that we're the problem. So instead of looking objectively at the organization, which may lead to cutting off our relationship with the organization or the family system, we take the blame on ourselves because leaving just feels too scary. Doing this long-term leads to feelings of unworthiness and not enoughness. When we spend a long time believing that we're the problem, and I know some of you have felt this in your relationship with God even, if you spent a long time being told that if you pray, God will answer your prayers, and you prayed and God didn't answer and didn't answer and didn't answer and didn't answer, you may have felt some cognitive dissonance of I've been told that God is real and if I pray with real intent that he'll answer my prayers and give me guidance. I must be the problem because the church told me God would answer my prayers and the church told me God is real and the thought of there being no God and not having any guidance from God feels too scary So I must be the problem. Maybe I'm not praying with real intent. Maybe it's, you know, the fact that I masturbated three weeks ago. Maybe it's, hopefully you're masturbating more than every three weeks. Masturbated last night. Let's do that. Um, But, you know, thinking that maybe I did something that is keeping God from feeling like he can talk to me. Maybe I'm the problem. This leads to self-worth issues, believing that you're always the problem. This is what leads to women who apologize for everything. This is what leads to feelings of unworthiness, to perfectionism, to people-pleasing, to looking for that outside validation because we believe something is wrong with us. And we need people to validate that we're an okay person. Before we move on, I do want to kind of throw in an interesting note here. Cognitive dissonance is highly affected by the effort we put into something. So this is called effort justification, and we see this all the time in high-demand religion. When we've put a lot of effort into something, 
and information comes in that the thing we've put effort into is rubbish or not worthwhile, we have a few options to choose from. However, most of us, what most of us do is we persuade ourselves that the thing we achieved is worthwhile. And we tend to value something highly that we've paid a lot of time, money, or effort into. This is why you see people who've been a part of a religion for a long time, they find it hard to leave than those who are younger or are newer converts. The more you invest into a belief system, the harder it is to walk away and admit that you may have chosen to put time, money, or effort into something that wasn't serving you or was actively harming you. This is also why you see people who have been in abusive relationships, the longer that relationship has been going on, the harder it is for them to walk away because they've spent so much time and effort, you know, pouring into this relationship, it's harder and harder to walk away because there's so much invested in it. So we decide that even if something went badly, it was somehow helpful, interesting, growth inspiring in order to justify the effort we've put into it. Or if something we've paid a bunch of time, money, and effort into is proven to be harmful, we justify it to be good anyway because we don't want the resources we spent to have gone to waste. If you have older family members who are digging in their heels and they refuse to even allow the thought that there could be something harmful in the religion that you grew up in, this is likely what's going on is they have cognitive dissonance. They've put so much of their life and their time, talent, money, effort into this religion. They've made decisions, whole life decisions based on the religion. They've raised their kids in the religion. Their grandkids have been raised in the religion. The cost is high to walk away. If they were to leave... I know people personally who've left in their 60s. If you're listening to this and you find yourself in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and you're walking away, I just want to like hug you through these sound waves. Let me hug you. I know how hard that was. Wondering, will my kids ever speak to me? Will I get to see my grandkids? Will I be sitting outside of their wedding? Will I be allowed into the chapel for their baptisms? Will I be shunned? Will I be welcome? And also that added guilt of, I raised these kids to believe this way. And I now need to walk away after all the time and money and effort I spent here. I know that is difficult. And I know how brave that decision was. So let me just say, I see you. And I honor the sacrifices that you've made in order to be honest with yourself. I know that that's been difficult. Okay, so how do we resolve cognitive dissonance? So we have four options to resolve cognitive dissonance. Two of them are healthier. Two of them are not very healthy. But we're going to go through all of them because all of them are options for you. The first one, when we have two beliefs that are competing and causing friction, we can change one of the beliefs. This is actually the healthiest option. This option takes a lot of self-awareness, though. We have to be cognizant of what our beliefs are in the first place, which means we have to be able to delve into our subconscious. And to do this, we have to be mind-body connected. 
And let's be honest, many of us live in a disembodied state, especially because we've had years of justifying and running away from cognitive dissonance. We were encouraged to be disembodied so that we wouldn't be cognizant of our cognitive dissonance while in the religion. We were taught to turn it off. We were taught to stuff emotions. We were taught to be disembodied. And so we have to re-embody ourselves. We have to get mind-body connected again. We have to connect again to our emotions. We have to be able to get in touch with our intuition in order to be able to do this process of changing one of our beliefs. If you need help with this, my friends, please talk to me. This is what I do. This is like my specialty. If you need some help with this, if you're having a hard time getting back in touch with yourself, I've helped dozens of people really shorten the amount of time that they've been able to reconnect with themselves and start making big changes in their lives. So if you want that, please talk to me. If not, I'm giving you everything I can you know, knowledge-wise, but sometimes that self-awareness piece is the piece that is really, really difficult, especially when we've lived a lifetime with some of these limits and some of this disembodiment. Also, you guys, okay, I'm just going to tell you right now. I was going to tell you at the end of the program, and I will again then, but I'm going to tell you right now. I have a six-week challenge coming up. Be looking at my social media. Be looking at your email if you're on the email list. I am only allowing 15 to 20 people into the six-week challenge. We are going to be deep diving into reconnecting the mind and body. We're going to be talking about how to read our emotions and to follow them to get in touch with this cognitive dissonance and to start overcoming limiting beliefs. We're going to dig into self-trust and feeling confident again, if you are ready to know exactly who you are, what you value, what you believe, what you feel, what you think, what's going on under the surface, and you want tools to move forward and you don't want to have to sift through however many hours of recorded information I've put out there to figure it out on your own, if you want someone to hold your hand step by step by step, it is a six-week course It's going to be coming in like 15 to 30 minute daily activities to do that will move you forward. I'm going to fill your toolbox with everything you need to root back into your intuition and to feel completely confident in recognizing your beliefs, overcoming cognitive dissonance, moving through limiting beliefs, and coming out on the other side with confidence and self-trust in six weeks. You guys, it took me six years to develop these tools for myself. And you could do that too. You could. You could read all the books. You could listen to all the podcasts. You could learn from trial and error. If you want to do that, you can. Absolutely. And I'm going to take 11 years worth of knowledge because I learned even after those six years. I'm going to take 11 years of knowledge, give you the very best tools. I'm going to give them to you in the right order. And you're going to feel amazing at the end of six weeks. I have now taken 14 people through this process and all of them have seen huge life transformations. The cool thing about this six-week challenge is that I'm going to be giving you guys tons of stuff that I have never given anybody else because I'm taking the information and creating an app that will help people who can't afford therapy or coaching. 
Now, they won't get the one-to-one, they won't get all the group coaching, and they won't get all the one-to-one access to me. You guys are going to have me in your back pocket. We're going to be talking all the time. If you're in the group, it's going to be like the super VIP experience. You guys are going to be getting like $1,400 worth of coaching for $397, and it's going to be amazing, and you're going to have access to this app that I'm creating for an entire year. So you can continue to revisit the tools and remind yourself of what we learned. And you're going to continue to have follow-up group coaching calls that entire year because that's something I'm offering with the app. So seriously, if you're listening to this and you're like, this is all great, I could really use some help with this. Like I said, I am only taking 15 to 20 people and there is an application process. We'll go through an assessment and make sure that this is like the issue, one of your top three issues. But if this is really resonating, I want you in there. I need you in there because what's going to happen is we're all going to go over these tools, the things that I've used with the 14 people over the past year. I'm going to give you the best information I have, and then I'm going to get feedback from you. What was super helpful for you? What needed to be clarified? We're going to make sure you get your transformation in the six weeks and that your confidence levels soar. You're going to feel so good and you're going to feel so supported and you're going to make tons of friends because when we have 15 to 20 people in here and we're all sharing on a daily basis, this is where community comes from. You guys told me on Instagram that your number one concern was community and connection. You don't like feeling lonely. You don't like feeling like you're doing this all alone. This is the solution, you guys. This is where my really tight-knit close friends have come from, is coaching groups and other people who are in the arena of healing. And not just like on the forums where you sometimes see people, but like face-to-face, like healing with people, sharing things. Some of my best friends I've made have come from deep, vulnerable interaction. So... If that sounds delicious to you, tap in. I would love to have you in the group because not only is this going to be a win for you, you're going to help me create tools that will make it a win for everyone else out there that's deconstructing. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who need this healing. So if you've ever thought to yourself, I want to do something that helps people, but I don't want to put my face out there. I don't want to deal with the backlash of going public. This is your opportunity. Together, we'll create this. And I'll make sure it's a win for you too. So please stay tuned for that, you guys. It is coming. In fact, I'm. you're listening to this on Sunday. Monday, the cart is opening. Monday. So that's tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Sunday, tomorrow the cart opens and it is only open for five days. I'm only opening it for five days, taking 15 to 20 applicants. And we're going to get going with a super transformational process. And this is the only time I am offering this VIP experience. It is the only time I'm going to give people Voxer access to me. You will have access to me every single day of the challenge. If you have a question, if you have a concern, you have a struggle coming up, you're gonna get one-to-one coaching over Voxer. 
you're going to get a weekly group coaching call on Zoom where we get to see each other face-to-face and hang out, and it's going to be super awesome. And then you're going to have access to the app. You're going to have access to some meditations I'm creating for you guys to help you get mindful because that is important for this process. I mean, you're just going to get like thing after thing after thing to help you with your healing. And your healing in this container is going to help hundreds of thousands of people heal from now on. I don't know if you can hear the passion in my voice. I'm like crazy passionate about this. A few months ago, I read a comment that said, healing shouldn't be a luxury item. Therapy's so expensive. One-to-one coaching with me, you guys, is expensive. The price of this program is the same price as two sessions with me in one-to-one coaching. I've tried to make it as inexpensive as possible while still energetically supporting the work I'm going to put into this for you. But healing should not ever be a luxury item. And together we can create tools that people pay tens of dollars, 20 to $30 a month to get serious step-by-step healing to religious trauma. We have already spent too much time, money, and energy. You guys, we have already done that. We've already invested too much time, money, and energy into religions that caused us trauma. We should not have to invest any more money, time, and energy than necessary to heal from it. I'm here to revolutionize the way we heal and to make healing as accessible as possible. So if that is calling to you, please talk to me. Either email me. The email will be in the show notes, but it's terry at emancipatedcoaching.com. Put in the subject, you know, six-week challenge or self-worth challenge. Please, please contact me. And then, or you can contact me on Instagram at emancipatedmolly. Send me a DM. Tell me that you're excited and you want the application, and I will send you the link to the application so that you can get started. Like I said, this is going to open on Monday. So what is that? Today is the 22nd. So it's going to open on Monday the 26th, and it's going to go through Friday. So if you're listening to this in that time window and this sounds delicious to you, please sign up. If you know someone who is maybe not as far along as you, in their healing process. Maybe you've already gone through the healing process and you're just listening to this because it's fun, but maybe you have a sibling or a friend that is earlier on that could use some of this. Please share with them, you guys. The more people we can get in this group, the more we're going to be able to draw from multiple perceptions, multiple experiences, multiple personalities, and make these tools as effective as possible for others that are coming after you. Okay, off my soapbox because you guys, this is a big deal. And I want you guys to get the help that you need. I want you to get the support that you need. And I want us to support others because I firmly believe that when we become healthier as individuals, we make the entire society healthier. Every single person that is in our sphere of influence is now given an invitation to heal themselves. We also raise healthier children. 
We have healthier relationships. We're kinder and more compassionate to others. This is a big deal. This is how we change the world. We heal ourselves and it radiates to others. If that sounds interesting, please, 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 please get in touch with me. You won't be sorry. It is going to be such a transformational experience. I've had so many people tell me that this program, what I'm going to be giving you guys, has absolutely changed their life. I've run this program now as a group without all of the feedback for an app. So that's what's going to be different about this challenge. But I've run this as a group now for a year And people are telling me it is one of the most transformational things they have ever done. One person told me she has done 10 years of therapy and this six-week challenge taught her more in six weeks than she got from 10 years of therapy. Like I said, I am taking 11 years of knowledge, condensing it down and squeezing out the very best of the best and giving it to you step by step. Super important. Let's get back to the topic at hand. So we were talking about changing our beliefs and how we have to be embodied in order to change our beliefs. Now, to change our beliefs, we have to be in touch with when something doesn't feel right in our bodies. We have to be aware of the physical discomfort, and then we get curious with the sensations until we can pinpoint the competing beliefs. Then we have to evaluate the competing beliefs and decide to consciously discard or edit one of the competing beliefs to bring the two beliefs into harmony. So that's the first way we can change one of the beliefs. So if we have two beliefs that are out of sync with one another, we have to change one of the beliefs. And that is the healthiest way, but it does require being embodied and being in touch with your intuition. The second one is change the behavior. So let's say you have a belief that working out is good for you and you keep making goals to get yourself to the gym, but you keep not showing up. Raise your hand, just like me. I'm over here with my hand, like super raised. Raise your hand if this has ever been you. You've been like, okay, this year, New Year's resolution time. This year, I'm going to go to the gym because I this is the year I get fit. And then you do it for like a week or two, and then you start to like drop off. And then, you know, by February, you're not doing it anymore. The vast majority of us, that's what we do. In fact, 98% of people don't keep their New Year's resolutions And this is why, my friends, because this is cognitive dissonance. We can change our behavior. We can force ourselves to go to the gym. We can have accountability partners. We can set timers. We can make a reward system. We can do all of it. And while we're going to the gym, we feel in alignment. We feel pretty good, right? But here's the problem. We still haven't addressed our conflicting beliefs. Now, if you decide... I'm going to go to the gym and you go to the gym and it's not a problem. You don't have cognitive dissonance. But if you do what most of us do, which is by February, we're not going to the gym anymore. There's cognitive dissonance at play. Without examining the underlying subconscious beliefs that are in conflict, not only do we fall off going to the gym, but we also cause ourselves self-worth issues. Tell me if you've ever done this. So, We eventually stop going to the gym, which puts us back into dissonance, and we have physical discomfort again. And in order to make peace with this, we start telling ourselves that we're just too weak. Or we just say, you know what, maybe I'm just lazy. 
we start putting ourselves down, you guys. So we cause ourselves self-worth issues because we think to ourselves, I said I wanted to go to the gym. And I went to the gym, but then, like always, I quit going to the gym. And guys, we repeat this pattern, like, every New Year's, right? We're like, no, 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 this is the year I eat healthy. No, 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 this is the year I start saving money. No, 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 this is the year I date people that are good for me. And then we go back to old patterns. And we think that we're just too weak or too stupid or too something. And we beat ourselves up because we won't look at the cognitive dissonance because underneath there there's a conflicting belief with the idea that going to the gym is a good idea and I'm going to tell you a story from my life exactly about this so about four years ago uh, conveniently enough right when I left the church I started going to the gym and I decided you know what I got a lot to work through, and I really feel like getting physically fit is going to be helpful for me. I really feel like I want to spend some time with myself. Um, I started doing Zumba, and I started lifting weights. Those were the two forms of exercise that I found that were enjoyable. And I would show up for a couple weeks, and then I would quit going. And I'd get mad at myself, and then I'd show up for a couple of weeks, and then I'd quit going. But at this point, I had been working on embodiment for six or seven years. And so I had been working on self-worth. I had been working on self-trust. I had been working on getting in touch with my intuition. After about three times, I started noticing a pattern. And I was like, okay, this is obviously a pattern. There's some cognitive dissonance going on here. And I'm going to get curious with it. I was like, on the one hand, I have a belief that going to the gym would be really good for me. And I think it would help me get healthy. And it would keep me out of depression. And I really felt like it would be a way for me to really heal. And I want to do it. But something's going on when I go to the gym. And I'm going to get curious with that. So I started paying attention. I'd go to the gym and I would do a body scan. You guys, what a body scan is, is where you just take a pause and you drop into your body. And when I say that, I mean you allow your consciousness to really just like drop from your head down into your throat, down into your chest area, into your gut down into your sexual organs, and then down your legs and arms. That is a body scan. And you are looking for where is tension, where is any sort of tightness or resistance. And I would just pay attention to what am I feeling? Where is the tension? And I would notice like a rock in my stomach or a heaviness in my chest or a tightness in my shoulders. And I would say, okay, what is that about? Do you want to know, I found a subconscious belief that going to the gym was selfish and vain. So I knew I had a belief that not going to the gym meant that I was lazy. And so I didn't like that belief. But I also had a belief that going to the gym was bad, that it meant that I was selfish and vain and I was taking away from my family. And... Of course, if I have that latent subconscious belief that going to the gym is bad, that only selfish and vain people go to the gym, of course I'm going to quit going to the gym. That doesn't feel good. I don't want to be selfish and vain. I would rather be lazy than selfish and vain. And so I was choosing to quit going to the gym. 
because it was so uncomfortable. So anytime your behavior isn't lining up with your conscious beliefs, there's cognitive dissonance, do a body scan. Get curious. What's going on? What are your thoughts saying? What are your emotions saying? What emotion are you feeling, first of all? This is, okay, this is the process. Body scan, where's the tension? I put my hand wherever the tension is, and then I ask myself, what emotion is this? Does this emotion have a name? And I give it a name. And then I talk to the emotion and I say, okay, shame, whatever the emotion is, fear. What am I thinking? Like what thought is creating you? And then I'll trace it to the thought and I'll listen to what I'm thinking. And then I check in with myself, like, is this what's going on? And I wait for that confirmation in my body. This is how we become aware of our cognitive dissonance and our conflicting beliefs. Okay, number three, the third way we can get rid of cognitive dissonance is we can rationalize or justify our beliefs and behavior. So some examples of rationalization are, well, we don't know for sure that that happened, or, well, I do a lot of other good things, so these bad things aren't so bad. Well, I didn't really like being friends with that person anyway. I'm better off without them. Or I deserve blank, that ice cream, this money, that new dress, to sleep with this person because blank, blank, blank. Or it's not so bad. If it starts with it's not so bad, you're probably rationalizing or justifying. Probably time to go and take a look at that little belief. And then the fourth one is we decide that the argument doesn't matter. Honestly, I don't even care. This makes me happy. I'm going to stick with it. Those kinds of things. So how do we avoid cognitive dissonance in the first place? The answer is very simple, but it is a practice that is difficult to master. We get mindful. We can do this a lot of different ways. We talked about body scanning. That's really helpful. That's a great way to get mindful. In fact, you guys, if you're just getting used to body scanning or if it's something you're trying to get into, program it into your phone. When I very first started body scanning 11 years ago, maybe not even that long ago, maybe 10, 9 years ago, when I first started body scanning and I was like, okay, I want to get more in touch with my emotions. I want to know what I'm feeling and I want to be more embodied. I set reminders on my phone every hour on the hour between 10 in the morning and five in the afternoon, an alarm would go off and I would pause what I was doing and tap into my body for one minute and just notice what was I feeling? Where was the tension? What was going on? After a while, I started noticing emotions as they came up because I was regularly in the habit and I had trained myself to notice emotions and to notice what they felt like and what my personal responses to each emotion was. So that's really helpful. Meditation, very helpful. And I don't mean guided meditation. That is a great way to start. But I find that just awareness meditation where you're just focusing on your breathing or focusing on a candle or focusing on a a visualization or a picture is the most helpful Bring yourself to the present and make yourself laser focus in on the present. 
really great way to get embodied. Yoga can be helpful. Journaling, you guys have heard me talk about vomit journaling before, very helpful. Talking with a friend, particularly one that won't shame you or use fear, like one that's just open-minded and will let you talk. Exercising or movement can sometimes give us a chance to be alone with our thoughts, particularly if you have ADHD or just a hyperactive mind. Sometimes getting your body moving will quiet your mind long enough that you can get embodied and feel what's going on. Or therapy and coaching. Okay, so the good news is that when we're in tune with ourselves, cognitive dissonance is actually a great self-discovery tool. When we recognize that we're uncomfortable or we're acting out of alignment with our conscious beliefs and values, getting curious can help us get to know ourselves better and get conscious about subconscious beliefs and programming and intentionally choose the direction of our lives. And when we do this, you guys, when we start to notice, oh, like I have conflicting beliefs here or my behavior is out of alignment with what I said I wanted to do, when we get to that point, it is so exciting because it's in this place that we can start feeling more in control of ourselves and in control of our lives. And it can help us build trust in our ability to make decisions and get the outcomes we want. Cognitive dissonance, too, just on a side note, has also been useful in helping us make advancements in society as well. This past year has shown us a lot of dissonance in our society, which is great for learning and changing to make our world a healthier place. So I want you to take a moment and think about some of the ways society has shown us it's out of alignment. So just pause this for a minute and just sit with yourself and think of anything that comes to mind and feel free to write it down. Okay, hopefully you paused, you wrote, and now you're back. You just practiced getting curious with dissonance. So that's what you're going to do with yourself too, is notice like, where am I out of alignment? You can even make that a journal prompt. You can write at the top of your page, where am I out of alignment in my life? And just write whatever comes to mind. No judgment. Just write, 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 write. And then later go back and reread it and see what comes up as you reread it. So some things I thought of from society is we have a belief that there is no racism in the USA. And on the other hand, we've got the Black Lives Matter movement. We have detainment camps for immigrants. We have Asian hate crimes going on and indigenous hate crimes and colonialism going on. Those beliefs side by side, cognitive dissonance. You see a lot of cognitive dissonance around race in the United States right now. Another one that came to mind is there's no such thing as climate change. And we have increased drought, wildfires, hurricanes, etc. So we see a lot of cognitive dissonance about climate issues in the United States. So we have so much cognitive dissonance. I'd love to hear what you came up with. Please send me messages or emails with the things you came up with. Share your journal prompts with me. Tell me like what came up for you. I would love to hear from you. My interactions with you really do drive future podcasts. The conversations we have are when the conversations we have on Instagram and in my email and even on the Facebook group are the ones that like really spark like, oh, I really want to talk about this. And then we talk about it. So send me stuff, you guys. Let's have conversations. It really does spark and influence later podcasts. 
So the cool thing is, is that all the big changes in society over the past hundred years, from women's right to vote, to the end of lawful segregation, to gay rights, to fair labor laws, and allowing transgender people to legally change their gender, and the rights of indigenous peoples and rights for persons with disabilities, all of this came from someone or a group of someone's recognizing and advocating for us as a society to confront our dissonant beliefs and decide to shift into more harmony. Everything comes from us finally recognizing our cognitive dissonance. Now, before we end, you guys, if you recognize cognitive dissonance in your life, here are some things to do to move through it, okay? The first one is if you recognize cognitive dissonance, have gratitude. The fact that you're recognizing it means you're growing and becoming more aware. Be grateful. Recognizing cognitive dissonance means you've become more embodied and you're growing and you're healing. That is an awesome first step. And anything that we can put gratitude onto is easier to move through and change, okay? So anytime you see something and you can put gratitude into it, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I became aware of this. I'm so grateful that I now know this is going on. So much easier to get into growth mindset than having shame that you're experiencing it in the first place. So be open, be grateful that you even recognized it because that's a huge first step. Second one, get curious. Get curious with your cognitive dissonance. What is the discomfort about? What are the opposing beliefs at work here? No judgment, just curiosity. This is an exploration. The third one is reframe. Choose how you want to resolve the conflict. Which belief do you want to tweak or throw out altogether? Take the beliefs to trial, and when the old belief comes up, Remind yourself how you disprove the belief and the new belief system you're operating from now. When I say take it to trial, what I do is I actually take the belief and I will literally split my paper in half and I will argue to defend the belief. Like what is my defense for this belief? And then I will prosecute the belief and I do my best to be the best prosecutor possible. I look for every example in society Everything that I can find that disproves that belief. And then I decide, do I want to keep it or do I want to throw it out? And if I decide I want to throw it out, I write a new belief in its place because when we leave open spaces, you guys, they fill with crap. So we want to be really intentional and we want to replace the belief with something that is more supportive to us and more in harmony with our values and belief system. And so I'll take that belief and be like, okay, This is what I'm going to change that belief to. And here's all the evidence that supports that belief being true. And then from then on out, whenever the old belief comes up, for instance, that it's selfish and vain to take care of myself, I pull out that all those reasons why it is not selfish and vain, all the reasons why keeping myself in tip top shape allows me to better help others, the the ways that Working out and staying healthy allows me to be not only a better mother, but a better grandmother. The ways that 
I'm actually saving my family resources by taking care of the body that I have. Just all of these things. Whenever the old belief comes up, because it will, we just remind ourselves, yeah, we already looked at this. I see you. We already looked at this. Here's the new belief. And the last one is be patient with yourself. Embodying new beliefs takes time. You've spent a lot of time living from this paradigm. So be compassionate with yourself when the old beliefs come up. They come up because they're your comfort zone. They're the neural pathway that your brain is used to taking. That's it. But as you continue to remind yourself of your new beliefs and act from that place, over time you're going to rewire your neural pathways and it's going to get easier and easier and easier. When you very first start changing your beliefs, it is going to feel like you are moving against a current. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And the more you can do it with compassion and without judgment and with curiosity, the easier the whole process is going to become too. Okay, you guys, I was going to end this telling you about my program, but I went off on a huge tangent in the middle, and I think I told you everything you needed to know there. There will be lots more information happening on Instagram this week. I'm going to be doing the live launch on Monday. You're going to hear all about what's going on on Monday. Tuesday, we're going to be talking about all the questions and answers. So you guys are going to see me live all over the place on Instagram Um, I'll be tweeting about it. I will be doing some stuff in the Facebook group about it. This is so important. And I want to make sure that everybody knows everything they need to know about this. Like I said, six-week program, super VIP access. You're getting what my one-to-one clients get. You're getting a weekly group coaching call. um, And I'm going to be talking about the benefits of group coaching. There are some huge benefits to group coaching when it comes to self-worth in particular and hearing your authentic voice that don't come with one-to-one coaching. Highly encourage that. But we will be having a group coaching call once a week, hour-long group coaching call where we get to talk about issues and we're all going to grow and learn together and it's going to be amazing and that's where you're really going to be building the community. You're going to have Voxer access to me 24-7 When I say 24-7, that means you can send me messages 24-7. I turn off my phone at night when I sleep, and when I'm having family time, I will get to your messages every single day, but during business hours. The third thing that is super cool is you're going to be getting guided meditations from me that will help you to get in touch with your emotions and learn how to body scan. You're going to get some awareness meditations and some inner child healing meditations. All of these are going to help you start having more compassion for yourself, learning to really tap into your intuition, restore your own authority, and start building that self-trust and self-confidence. It's going to be amazing. Also, you're going to have access to the app I'm building after this challenge. As we're doing the challenge, I'm going to be building the app. So when we do week one and I get your feedback, once I get your feedback, I'm going to be taking that, editing whatever content I need to edit, and I'm going to be putting that into the app for other people to use later. And you're going to have access to that for a full year. That's like $600 worth of amazingness. Um, Because you're going to get the VIP membership to the app, which is like 50 bucks a month. 
and you get that for a full year. So that's super exciting. Um, not to mention you're going to get all the content because this is just the first course I'm creating. I have five courses I'm going to be creating over the next 12 months at least. I'm collaborating with my husband who's a marriage and family therapist on two of them and three of them I'm creating on my own. And we are going to be just like giving you all the goods. So not only does this $397 get you access to this six-week challenge with all the goodies, you guys, like I said, it's $1,400 worth of value. That's what I would normally charge people for all the goodies that you're getting, the Facebook community, the Voxer access, the group coaching, the just all of it. $1,400 worth of stuff, and you're getting it for $397, and you're getting access to every course that I'm creating that comes on the app. So you're going to have five courses at the end of the 12-month period. Like, you don't want to miss out on this. It's going to be life-changing. If this sounds at all exciting to you, please message me, and I will send you the link to the application. Like I said, there is an application process because I want people who are really trying to build self-confidence and are looking for identity recovery in this specific group. If that's one of your top two issues right now, trying to figure out who am I, what do I believe, what do I value, how do I hear my inner voice, how can I learn to trust myself again, how can I build self-confidence, how can I believe that I'm enough and I'm worthy, and how can I get out of my own way, this is the course for you. Or if this is not the course for you, but you have a friend or a family member that this is something that they need, this is the course for them. Like I said, this is the price of two coaching calls, two private coaching calls, and you're getting so much value. It's going to be a great way for people to heal and really like accelerate that healing. Like I said, it took me six years, six years to do what so many of my clients are doing in six weeks. That's a valuable time. If you can get those tools in six weeks, it's going to accelerate your ability to feel confident and move forward in your life and to put the trauma behind you. So are you going to be completely healed in six weeks? No, you are not. Will you have all the tools to heal yourself in six weeks? Yes. Are you going to feel significantly better in six weeks? Yes, you will. So worth it, you guys. So worth it. All right. I'm going to quit like fangirling all over the place on you guys because I'm seriously so excited and I can't wait to meet those of you who join this group program because every one of you that's going to be in this program is going to be super aligned. I have a feeling you guys are going to get along so well because we're going and vetting um, through this application process and so it's going to be super, super aligned. Plus, you guys are going to get to meet my VA Ashley Timberlake, she's the one that does all the transcripts for my podcast. She is amazing in her own right. She multiplies my ability to put things out into the world. So I'm so excited for you to get to meet her. Uh, She's run recovery groups before in the past as well. And so she's going to be bringing all of her talents and her incredible empathic, intuitive abilities. It's going to be so good, you guys. It's going to be so good. We will be starting class. This is also important. We will be starting class once kids go to school. So we're signing up right now. You're going to get the meditations ahead of time, and you're going to get some pre-work ahead of time that will help you prepare, but we're going to be starting the challenge 
the 23rd of August is when we're going to get started and it will go for six weeks. Thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to work super closely with those of you this is resonating with. I go to bed excited every night. I wake up excited every morning. There's a huge vision coming. And I really do think it's going to change so many lives. So I'm so incredibly grateful already, even before meeting those of you who will be in this particular container. I'm so incredibly grateful and honored that we get to do this together. And for all the people that we will help heal more quickly and help live confident lives. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the time you guys give me every single Sunday morning. It is just so exciting knowing that so many of you are listening and I love hearing from you. I can't stress that enough. I love hearing from you. So if you ever have comments, suggestions, topics you want covered, aha moments you want to share, please send me an Instagram message. I would love to hear what you have to say. Thank you again. And I will see you next week.